All right, grab a seat. Uh, I get it, I get it. We're, uh, it takes a lot to sing, shake, uh, shake hands, clap, all of those things in church. I, I, I want to thank you for last week, how you uh, interacted with me after the, the message. For you that aren't there, there's a recorded message on the, on our website. We're going to keep coming back to this. What's the one fruit of the Spirit that you're going to work on this year? At different points, we're going to ask you about it. What's the one fruit of the Spirit that you're going to work on it? Now, many of you, if we are really being truthful, might say this. I'm a little bit relieved that last year is over. We're eight days into 2023. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Don't, don't worry if you don't have a Bible. If, if you need a Bible, please reach out to us. We'd love to provide one for you. I'd actually encourage you to read the entire chapter 43. We're not going to do that this morning. But sometime this week, I'd encourage you to read 43, Isaiah 43, because there's tons and tons of promises that are contained in there. Beautiful and and powerful promises. Look at verse 18 in Isaiah 43. The author is proclaiming these powerful words to us this morning. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. It appears. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way. I, God, am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Hold your, your Bibles open to that. Matthew 6, it's going to be on the screen. You don't need to go there. But Matthew 6 follows a similar theme with Jesus proclaiming some powerful words. Seek first his kingdom, my kingdom, and my righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, let's not worry about tomorrow for Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Go back to that Isaiah 43 little passage there. Can you see? I'm doing something new. God may speak to us very directly. That he wants to do something new in us individually and us as a church. Some of you may be facing something where you go, I don't know how in the world we'll ever make it. I mean, it's bad. It's, it's hard, Matt. I don't see a way. God is looking at you today saying, I see a way where there is no way. I'm going to do a new thing in your life if you listen and if you perceive it. See, what I, I found in my life is I have a lot of intentions, I would call them Matt intentions, rather than God intentions. See, there's a huge difference between Matt and God. Many of us have things that you want to accomplish this year, things that you want to do, but are they God intentions? 
This morning, we're actually going to ask ourselves four questions that'll help us bring our focus back into God for 2023. What I'm going to do today is actually ask you four one-thing questions. See, what I've realized in my own life is that I can have a whole list of good ideas, good intentions. I could come up with five New Year's resolutions. I could come up with five great things or ten great things that I'm going to do this year, but what I'm learning the older I get is if I have one thing, that one fruit of the Spirit, that one thing that's going to come out today, over a decade, there's actually 10 things that I've worked on. And so for you this morning, I want you to wrestle through, ask yourself these simple questions that we're going to walk through. Here's the very first question that I want you to, to wrestle through. As you're seeking God this year, what one thing, what one thing do you desire from God? As you're seeking God this year, what is the one thing that you desire from God? Above everything else, in the clutter of our life, if God said to you, I'm going to give you this one thing that you ask for, what will be the driving force of your prayer life before God this year? Now, an easy way to answer that question is to look at someone who's a lot like us, David. See, David asked God for many, many things. David was described as a man after God's own heart. Perhaps the reason he was a man after God's own heart was because he desired one thing, and the one thing that he desired was to be in the presence of God. On your screen, you're going to see Psalm 27, verse 4. Here's David's words, one thing, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I would gaze, that I would see his presence, and I would seek him in his temple. David says, if I could see one thing. If I could have one thing, I want to be with God. I want to be in his presence. I want to see his goodness. I want to know that he's always with me. If there's one thing that I need in the good times, it's God. If there's one thing that I need in the bad times, it's God. If there's one thing that I desire above all else, I want to dwell in the presence of God. So back to that question, the first question, what is one thing that you desire from God in 2023? Many of you may be in a place in your life where you say, you know what? There's someone who's close to me. They're not a believer. And if there is one thing that I want God to do, it would be for God to use me in that person's life to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. So the driving force for you this year would be, God, love this person into a relationship with you. There may be an addiction or stronghold in your life. 
One thing that's keeping you from going further with God. You can say this, this isn't my New Year's resolution. This is a God burden. That I will no longer let this one thing keep me from fully pursuing God. And if there's one thing, God, if there's one thing I could desire, that I could believe with all my heart, is that you would give me the power to overcome this one thing that's in the way. Some of you are going to look at your marriage and you'd say, you know what? It's not where God wants it to be. There's one thing that you desire from God and it would be that he would bring healing to your marriage. How? You're tempted to desire the one thing that God would fix the person that you're married to. Maybe it's the desire of God that you would be changed. Some of you, you've been promising for a long time that you'd slow down. Years have gone by and you're missing out on the life that God's called you to live. And your one thing might be this, God, I need you to help me enjoy you and your presence and those around me. And the one thing that I need you to do, I need you to do this is I need you to teach me how to live according to the rhythms of your grace and not according to the patterns of this world. For some of you, you long to be married. And all your friends are getting married and you're like, I love them, but I hate them. You really desire somebody. And for you, the one thing might be this, God, I need you to be enough. I need to be satisfied with you this year. What's the one thing that you desire from God? What's the one thing that you need from God? Years ago, my one thing I needed from God was very much like Solomon in the Bible. One time God looked at Solomon and he said, Solomon, what do you want? And God said, and Solomon said, I want wisdom. Do you remember what we're told in James chapter 1 verse 5? If any of us lack wisdom, God will give it to us. I asked, and in that year, God gave me periods where I could see wisdom appearing. That was the driving force of the one thing that I desired from God that year. So friends, what's the one thing that you desire from God this year? Here's the second question, the second one thing question that I want to ask you. When it comes to your relationship with God, what's one thing that you lack. When it comes to your relationship with God, what's the one thing that you lack? What's one thing that's missing? In Mark chapter 10, there's an interesting story of a rich guy who encountered Jesus. He said to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus looked at him and said, well, you, you need to obey the commandments. The guy very proudly looked back at Jesus and said, I have done all that. Jesus looked through his outward appearance and looked into his heart and saw a problem that the guy didn't even know he had. 
So Jesus said something to him that he didn't say to anyone else. And he said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus looked at him and loved him, had compassion on him. Jesus said these words, one thing you lack, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And then you'll find treasure in heaven. Then, when you do that, come follow me. If there's one thing that's standing in the way of you completely following Jesus. And for this guy, it was the material possessions and the desire for security from wealth. And Jesus said this, that the one thing is in the way. Jesus looked at him in verse 22 and said, sell everything. And the Bible says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. God specifically showed him the one thing that he lacked. And he was unwilling to do the one thing that would have benefited him spiritually. May I say this? May I be as brave to say this? There are many of you, over a period of many years, God has shown you the one thing that you need, the one thing that is lacking, and we've been disobedient. Doing a new thing. It's a new year. It's 2023. I believe with all my heart that this needs to be the year where you move to obedience with God. There's one thing that could completely transform your spiritual life. Many of you, you've been a part of Daybreak for a long time. And you've just kind of sat on the fringes. You don't really have great Christian fellowship. You don't have a group. You don't have other people praying for you and holding you accountable. You don't have people looking at you saying, we are going to do that together one day. No, perhaps that is the one thing that you need to. To finally spiritually take off, we're going to keep talking about getting involved in a group, not just being a participant this year. For some of you, you've been wrestling with the tithe. You know, I will give God first and my best and trust him to bless the rest. You fought it and you fought it. And perhaps that's the one thing for you this year. That's the point where God is saying, do you really believe it or don't you? Are you going to trust me or not? Maybe some of you, you really know that you need to, to have someone to hold you accountable. You drift into sin and it messes you up. You drift away from those that you love. You truly need someone to speak into your life. I mean, you look at all the well-known people today, their lives are falling apart. We watch it on TV. You know why? There's not somebody looking at them saying, do you know what you're doing? When it comes to your relationship with God, let me ask you this thing. What's the one thing that you lack? 
What's the one thing that you lack to move forward with God? What do you desire from God? If he would give you one thing, what would you ask of him? Let's go to the third question. What's the one thing that you need to let go? What's the one thing that you continue to grip that holds you back from where God wants you to be? What's the one thing that you need to let go? I love the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 was talking about how he wanted to know Christ. Not just know Christ, but really know Christ. And he said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, Brothers and sisters, family, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind me. I strain toward what is ahead. (laughs) This one thing I'm going to do, you can almost see this is like one action. I'm forgetting what is behind me. I'm straining. I'm pulling myself on towards what is ahead. I'm pressing on. It's a one desire fluid action that I must move forward. Now, we don't know what Paul was letting go of. I mean, Paul wrote so much of the New Testament for us. Could it be that Paul was struggling personally? Because he was the guy that said to stone Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 8. Maybe Paul had felt guilty and was starting to let go of that. Maybe... He was struggling that he was the guy that persecuted the early church. It could have been the pain that he experienced suffering for Christ. I mean, here was a guy, Paul, that five times he was whipped, each time with 40 lashes across the back. Maybe he was saying, I need to let go of that. Here's a guy, Paul, who was beaten three times with rods. Here's a guy who was shipwrecked three times. Here was a guy who had stones thrown at him continually. Perhaps he was saying, I have to let go of that to actually move forward. Well, let me give you a little picture. When I went away to college, I went to a school in Colorado. One of the first activities that we did was we climbed a mountain called Long's Peak. It seemed like a good thing to do. It was 14,000 feet above sea level. It took us eight hours to get up, six hours to get down. We could see Denver 90 miles away. It wasn't really worth it at the end. But we had a mountain guide. And the mountain guide would simply say this to us. Ah, you should just lean in. Ah, don't look down. Just keep walking. His voice would never get louder than that. We'd cross certain sections and he would say, oh yeah, two people died there last week once we got through it. Could you imagine if he said that before? We'd have looked down, we'd have got ourselves in trouble. 
In the same way, what is God asking us to, to let go of? There are some of, you, some of you, the reason you're not moving forward to where God wants you to be is because you're holding on to something from the past. Friends, it's time to let go. Someone hurt you. You're holding on to it. You've got unforgiveness and you've got bitterness and God would say, I want to do something new. But I can't have you dwell in the past. You've got to forget what is behind and you've got to press on. I'm convinced convinced that one of the biggest problems in marriages today is people don't let go of the past. Someone hurts you and our natural tendency, my natural tendency is to punish them. Some of you, your story is you failed in the past and you're holding on to that and you've internalized that. You're wrongly believing that you're a failure because you messed up. No, that's something that happened. That's not who you are, and you've got to let go of that today. You've got to obey. You've got to take what God's given to you and not continue to live in the pain of the past. Some of you might have let yourself down. You think, you know what? God is holding this against me. In the past few weeks, I was talking to a student who compromised some of his values sexually with a girl that he was dating. He said, oh, now God is never going to bless me. And I'm never going to be married. And I'm going to be miserable. Listen, that happened and that was wrong. But guess what you're going to do? You're going to let it go. It's been forgiven by God. You move forward. You let go of the pain of the past and you press on. Let it go. It's a new day and God is doing a new thing. What is one thing that you need to let go of this year so that you can become all that God wants you to become? Here's the final one. What promise, what one promise Do you need to claim? In the Old Testament, David was a young man when he was anointed by Samuel to take over as the next king. Samuel came and basically looked at all of Jesse's son and he said things like this, he's handsome, but it's not him. He's talented, but it's not him. He's very strong, but it's not him. And he went down through all the brothers. He looks at the dad and says, do you have any others? And the dad was like, well, there's that runt. He's out taking care of the sheep. I don't think that you'd want him. David comes up and God says, I don't look at what people do. I look at the heart. This is the next king. And there was a promise that God gave. Many of you, you've had a promise from God. You believe that God has shown you something for the future and it's not coming about and you're going, where are you, God? That's exactly what happened to King David. 
As soon as he was anointed to be king over Israel, it seemed like every time that he'd take one step forward, there would be two steps back. Every time there was a victory, there would be Saul, King Saul, coming after him to ruin, to run him down, to destroy him. King David felt like he kept going backwards. The whole time, King David could be, could have been thinking, I don't see it, God. I know this is what you said was going to happen, but I simply do not see it. There was this one particular time where he was running from King Saul who was trying to kill him. That's not a good thing. The current king is chasing after you, so he decided to go and hide among the Philistines, which King David thought was a good idea. Let's go and hide. He got there, and this is in 1 Samuel 21, and he thought this wasn't a good idea. How many times in our life have we went, that's not a great idea. Listen to what he said in 1 Samuel 22, verse 3. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, This is how broken David is. Would you let my father and mother come and stay with me until I learn what God has for me? In Psalm 56, David penned these words in 56, verse 9 through 13. They'll be on the screen. Then the enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can man do for me? I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you, God, have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This one thing I know. There are so many things, friends, that I don't know. But I do know this. God is for me. And because that one promise is true in my life and your life, that if I don't see anything else that I want to see, that's enough. The one thing I know is God is still on the throne and he is for me. Friends, some of you, God is going to give you a promise this year. And you're going to hang on to it and it'll sustain you. It'll sustain you like food nourishes your body. It will carry you when you're weak. This one thing I know. What's one promise this year that you need to claim? At different points in my life, God has given me one promise that I hold on to. In my weakness, in my inadequacy, in the things that I can't do on my own, God says my strength will be made perfect in your weakness. What's one promise from God that you need to claim? Well, what does God promise? Get ready to be overwhelmed. God promises in his word to meet every need you have from his glorious riches. 
If you are hurting financially and you're afraid, God promises he will meet every need that you have. God promises that you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. Those of you that continue to go back into repetitive sin, guess what? There's always a way out. There is power through Christ to help you overcome the temptation and sin that has gripped you. There is always a way out. God promises to forgive all your sins. If you're hurting today and the weight of your past, I didn't, I shouldn't have, I feel ashamed. Guess what, friends? It's forgiven. God cast that into a sea of forgetfulness and he will remember it no more. God promises to make everything, even the bad things, especially the bad things. God promises to make everything work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God promises if you feel alone or abandoned that he will never, ever leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you forever. God promises to be your help, to be your ever-present help in trouble. God promises to give strength to the weary. He is your strength. He is the joy of the Lord is your strength. He promises to guide you and give you direction. Many of you, you don't know what to do next. What am I going to do? Guess what? God will guide you. God is the good shepherd. You are the sheep. The sheep recognize the voice of the good shepherd. It is the shepherd's role to lead the sheep. He will lead you. You follow. He promises to guide you. He promises to give you a peace that transcends all your understanding. Many of you are facing significant trials. You don't know how to get through it. Guess what? There is a peace where others will look at and say, how can you be calm in the middle of all of this? You say, I don't know, but God has promised that he will deliver. God promises to give you power to defeat Satan, to overcome the work of the evil one. You resist him and he will flee from you. God promises that nothing will ever separate you from his love. God promises that you are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. For those of you who aren't walking with God and you know it, God promises you eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. There are some things, friends, that I don't know. But this one thing I do know. God is with me and God is with you. This one thing you can know that God is with you. What's one thing in 2023 that you desire from God above everything else? What's one thing in 2023 that you lack? Will you have the courage to obey the voice of God? What is one thing in 2023 that you need to let go of? It's time, forget it. And then what's one promise that you need to claim? I love this in Isaiah 43. Verse 18, forget. 
Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Can't you see it? I'm making a way in the wasteland, in the wilderness. I'm making streams where there's no streams. The wild animals, they honor me. The jackals and the owls, because I provide water, nourishment in the wilderness, and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your word. Your word is powerful. Your word cuts deep to our, to our heart. Lord, if I said anything that wasn't of you, please take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. Lord, as we come into communion, it's a great gift that we have. Help us be mindful of this gift. We love you in your name. Amen. The really cool thing with communion is that the the table, the communion table is open to anyone who's accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You don't have to be a member of Daybreak. You don't have, we're not checking to see if you've tithed or not or you're involved or you're not. It's simply a rallying point for us as Christ followers. And, and the great thing that we do with communion is what Paul told us to in, in 1 Corinthians. He said, every time you gather and you remember the Lord's death and resurrection, you look at each other and you say, we serve a living God. He's a God who's, who's alive and not dead. It reminds us. We have certain times in the calendar, Christmas, Easter, where we're reminded, but, you know, January 8th, not many of us are walking in going, I remember Christ's death and resurrection. So that's what communion does. It's an ordinance that we get to do. A few months ago, we celebrated uh, some people getting baptized. That's an ordinance. It's them looking, going, I'm a part of you. I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to, to peel that first layer, and as you hold the, the bread, Jesus met with his disciples near the end of his life, three and a half years Jesus spent, so from 30 to 33 and a half Jesus spent with his disciples. Many of them were teenagers. They were the rejects. They weren't good enough to walk with the Pharisees. Kind of in our day and age, we, we have parents who go, man, I hope my kid is this. Back then, the disciples, the, their parents would have went, oh, I hope my kid is a disciple of the Pharisee. Instead, they were fishermen, tax collectors, kind of people on the outside, and Jesus took them and in John 17 said something really powerful. He goes, the world's going to believe in the message of these guys. You and I are in churches today because of guys like Peter who messed up. And the body, 
was an interesting piece because bread was a common thing for the disciples. They would have had bread at most meals. Bread was a utensil. They would use it like some of your dads did. You can remember, you got that image of your dad doing the plate, making sure the plate was all gone. Uh, And so it was a common thing. and, And Jesus held up the bread and he said, guys, I've come for one reason. My father sent me to do the will of, of him. That was to sacrifice my life. And at times, it's easy for us to kind of put Jesus kind of in a drama. Like, because he's God, and so he's hanging on the cross, but he's really God, and maybe he wasn't there, maybe pain. But the, the body broken reminds us of the humanness of Jesus. And the same things that Jesus faced are the same things that you and I face in this world. Rejection, loneliness, hunger. But Jesus showed us he is the way. So he held up the bread and he said, this is my body that is broken. And he looked right at guys like Judas and went, for you. And so today, let's take the body that is broken for us. Let's take together. And that body was one thing. That's the human element. But then on the other side, Jesus said, here's the cup and the cup is the blood of my new covenant. In one of the gospel accounts, it says that Jesus said, I have eagerly I have longed, I have waited, I couldn't wait any longer. Because the blood was going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Sins that you and I are going to commit tomorrow, and sins that we committed years ago. And so we are so blessed that we get to partake the blood of the new covenant. That is for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take together. What a great gift, God. We are humbled to think that you willingly went to the cross for us. God, if any of my friends have not accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior, I don't think there would be a better time than on Communion Sunday. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.